Thank you, Warner Brothers, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Someone in my family once told me that the greatest trick the devil plays on us is to make us believe he doesn't exist. It scared the hell out of me, which was probably their intention. It made me feel like no matter how I went about my life or what I believed, the devil could influence me, whether I knew it or not. Now that I'm older, I no longer picture a red-skinned, horned figure lurking in the corner, waiting for an opportunity to take over my consciousness. To me, the devil is more of an abstract idea, the collective understanding of what we as a society have deemed to be evil. He's not an actual being. But according to a 2016 Statista survey, more than half of Americans believe in the devil as a spiritual being with influence. So, in 1981, when a defendant on trial for murder attempted to use demonic possession as a defense for the first time in U.S. history, it brought into the mainstream this fear many have, that the devil is real and can make us commit evil acts. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. This Friday, June 4th, the latest installment in the Conjuring universe will explore the notorious Devil Made Me Do It case and have you asking yourself, how worried should you be about demonic possession? First, let's talk about what demonic possession actually is. Possession is a concept that we see in various cultures and religions around the world. For Filipinos, like Gurley's family in season one, someone can spontaneously become possessed by the spirit of an ancestor and speak as the deceased. For Africans, a spirit is willingly accepted into a human host, and it is seen as a very sacred ritual. But the most well-known understanding of possession is the Christian version. It is the belief that a spirit, entity, or demon can override a person's free will and control their actions, typically with malicious intent. So what are the signs of this type of demonic possession? In general, there are three major stages, infestation, oppression, and possession. Infestation looks like a typical haunting might, objects moving on their own, mysterious sounds, unsettling visions. Once you pass this stage, it becomes harder to get rid of the entity. Oppression is when the demon affects you mentally. Your behavior changes, you have lapses in memory, 
you experience regular night terrors. This is when the demon wears you down so that you are easier to manipulate. And finally, possession is when you have lost control. You speak of violence towards yourself or others and act upon it. According to Christianity.com, true demonic possession, like I've just described, is actually incredibly rare. Demonic activity is more likely to manifest as temptation or oppression, and victims of these attacks mistakenly confuse them for possession. But despite those odds, the fear of possession is still very real in our modern society. In fact, in 2019, the Vatican trained almost 10 times more priests in the rite of exorcism to keep up with the rapid rise in requests. That's a lot of people who are genuinely afraid of a loved one being possessed. The fear of the devil is by no means new. The satanic panic of the 1980s took it to a whole new level, leaving parents terrified that their children would become victims of satanic cults. Then, in 1981, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson became the first person in American history to attempt to use demonic possession as a murder defense. But Judge Robert Callahan declared that it would be impossible to prove scientifically, and so Arnie pleaded self-defense instead. The jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession in their verdict. But I wonder... If Arnie and his lawyer had been able to at least present their case, how would it have impacted the mainstream attitude toward possession? Would it have made more believers or skeptics? All we have now are the stories they've shared in newspapers and interviews, and we're left to make our own conclusions. This is the story of the Devil Made Me Do It case. Brookfield, Connecticut, 1980. The Glatzel family consisted of Debbie, her 11-year-old brother David, and her boyfriend Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. After they had cleaned out a rental property they acquired, David began speaking of an old man following him around, watching him when he slept. He described the man as having big black eyes, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. Debbie then started noticing gradual behavioral changes in young David. He had become withdrawn. He'd occasionally growl and hiss. He would randomly go into horrible fits and convulsions. He even recited phrases from the Bible and Paradise Lost. Worried for her brother, Debbie called a priest to bless their home and David. It was this pastor who suggested they enlist the help of Ed and Lorraine Warren, famed demonologists. The Warrens immediately sensed that something was not right with David. They claimed that there was not one, but as many as 43 demons vying for control of him. To perform an official exorcism, they would need the approval of the bishop and the Vatican, which they did not have. And so they arranged a series of minor rites of exorcisms. It was during one of these exorcisms that Arnie taunted the demons. Come into me, 
Leave the little lad alone, he said. His attempt to save David might have worked, unfortunately. The Glatzels decided that they needed to move out of that house and have a change of scenery, so they rented a place from a man named Alan Bono. One day, Alan and Arnie were having lunch where they both consumed a lot of alcohol. An argument was ignited and the fight became physical. It ended with Arnie stabbing Alan several times in the chest with his pocket knife. Arnie was later found walking in the woods with no recollection of what had happened. Arnie was eventually convicted of first-degree manslaughter and served five years in prison. I speak with a lot of different people about their first-hand paranormal encounters for my podcast. There is no way for me to prove their stories, and I don't consider it my job to debunk them. I'm much more interested in learning how the experience changed them and extracting the lessons we can learn. So, looking at Arnie's story, is there anything we can learn from this? If you take away the devil from the story, you still have a man who, while heavily intoxicated, took someone's life. Is that not possession? but by alcohol or by anger? I think the danger of fearing a hypothetical form of evil is that we forget the existence of the very real, tangible forms. Father Germain, an exorcist of over 25 years, believes that there is something worse than possession. He says that temptation, not possession, poses a spiritual threat. When one is possessed, you are not to blame for your actions. But if you give in to temptation, that is an active choice and more dangerous to the soul. Be sure to check out The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, in theaters and on HBO Max this Friday, June 4. Thank you for joining me today. Season 4 of Stories with Sapphire will resume on June 23rd. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties or private tarot readings. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash Sapphire Sindalo, where I post an animated spooky story every other week. If you'd like to submit a story, send it to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Music written by Sapphire Sindalo. Thanks again to Warner Brothers for sponsoring this episode. <laughs>